August 28, 1963, and it turns out almost 60 years ago today. It was 100 years to the day after President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation that declared millions of slaves to be free, 250,000 civil rights supporters gathered on the steps and around the Lincoln Memorial to hear Dr. Martin Luther King speak. And King began by saying the century-old decree, the emancipation, was a great beacon light of hope. He said 100 years later, the Negro is still not free. In earlier speeches, King had referred to his dream of freedom. In 1961, he spoke to a group of students in Detroit with, about this dream. In November 1962, he gave a speech at Booker T. Washington High School in North Carolina, where he again mentioned the dream. And he mentioned this dream to be freedom and equality arising from a land of slavery and hatred. Now, on the platform that day on the Lincoln, in front of the Lincoln Memorial, King spoke from notes for about 20 minutes, and then he was interrupted as the gospel singer Mahalia Jackson, who had sung earlier in the program, remembered King's speech from Detroit. And she said, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. King hesitated about 10 seconds, pushed his notes aside, and then he began to weave a series of visions of freedom and justice, each one beginning with, I have a dream. It is, he held the crowd spellbound, and then the crowd exploded when King said that he looked for a day, quote, when all God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God. God Almighty, we are free at last. It was the greatest speech of the 20th century. He used the word dream to describe a cherished aspiration, ambition, or ideal. And that's one definition of the word dream. But it can also mean a series of thoughts, images, and sensations that occur in a person's mind as they sleep. Now today, as we continue in our study of the life of Joseph, we find that dreams in the sense of a series of thoughts, images, and sensations during sleep now take central stage. Today we'll look at the dreams God gave to four people to advance his cherished aspiration kind of dream, to unite heaven and earth in a display of his glory that alone can fulfill our deepest desires for freedom and justice and peace and beauty and holiness. So I invite you to open your Bible to Genesis 40. I've titled this message, I Have a Dream, because God has this dream that we'll see here shortly. We'll look at three pairs of dreams that God gave to different people. The first is in Genesis 37. Two of them are in Genesis 40, and the third is described in 
Genesis 41 through recovering a large area of, of text. But in these verses, we'll see God's sovereign power work in providential action to, first of all, choose a person. Second, to choose a place. And then finally, to choose the perfect time to bring about the action foretold in the dream. Now, the story is preserved in the Bible so that God's people throughout history can have a basis for confidence in his sovereign power and entrust themselves to his perfect providence. That's the one big idea. It's on the top of the handout, and I've defined below uh, the terms here. God's sovereign power means he directly and indirectly controls every event to bring about the best possible result from his perfect knowledge of all possible outcomes. God's providence, then, is his sovereign power applied in creation. And that's what we'll see today in these dreams in chapter 40 and following. Now, we honor God by standing when his word is read. So if you can, please stand. I'm going to read the opening of Genesis 41, beginning in verse in verse 1, Genesis 41, beginning in verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate the seven attractive, plump cows. Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all of the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. May God bless the reading of his word to us. Please be seated. Pharaoh's dream sets the stage for what occurs next in the life of Joseph in Egypt. And to understand this dream, as I said, we need to look back at Joseph's dream that's recorded in chapter 37. Because in that dream, God reveals a chosen person through whom he will work to advance his promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 to make from him a great nation through whom all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, we touched briefly on this dream earlier in our study of Joseph. It's a dream that led to all of Joseph's troubles that he's just facing now in Egypt. Now, listen again to Genesis 37, verse 5. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. 
he said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my Now, his brothers already hated Joseph because he was Jacob's favorite son. His consistently good character had resulted in Jacob giving Joseph authority within the family, authority over the resources of the family, second only to the father Jacob. And for, for uh, his authority, he was given this coat, long sleeve, the coat of many colors, it's called oftentimes, as a mark of that authority. So for his brothers, Joseph was already a marked man. Now, with this dream, verse 8 says his brothers hated him even more. Then God gave Joseph a second dream. And in that dream, the sun and the moon and the stars were all bowing down to Joseph. Now, when he told this dream to his family, Chapter 37, verse 11 says, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. His father kept the saying in mind. You see, beliefs that dreams and visions came from the gods was common in ancient times. And throughout the Old Testament, God, Yahweh God, used dreams to reveal his promises. So when we're told that Jacob kept the saying in mind, it's similar to what we read in Luke 2.19, where Mary treasured up in her heart the words that the shepherds brought, proclaiming that the Messiah had been born in Bethlehem. So Jacob, like Mary, kept Joseph's dream in mind and treasured in his heart, waiting to see not if, but how God would work through his young son. Now, throughout his life, we've seen Joseph consistently demonstrate good, good character. He's, he was a, a man for all seasons. That was the term used by 16th century writer Robert Whittington to describe someone who faces every event in life with the strength of character to do the right thing regardless of the consequences. Now, we've seen this again and again in Joseph's life. And these two dreams predicted that somehow God would providentially work all things to place Joseph in a position where his family will bow before him. Here's our first fill-in, then. The Lord creates and honors good You see, God didn't choose Joseph because of his good character. God created the good character in Joseph so that he could use him. No human being has naturally good character. That's why David writes in Psalm 14, verse 3, and then later in Psalm 53, verse 3, which Paul picks up later in Romans 3, he writes this, there is no one who does good, not even one. In both the Greek and the Hebrew, no one means no one. 
Only God can change fallen character, including Joseph. Now, when the Holy Spirit brings the gift of faith, our hearts become alive. And that faith brings justification. Justification is God's declaration that we are no longer guilty of our sin because Jesus took the divine wrath and paid the penalty for all who believe on the cross. We're just justified because Jesus paid it all. So all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So we're justified, but then becomes a, pro- a process called sanctification. Sanctification starts as the Holy Spirit in us leads our newly enlivened spirit so that our heart desires to obey God, to follow Christ. God changes then our character so that we can do the good works which he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10. Now, this change happens early in some people and later in others. Joseph was saved when he was young, and his steady character reflects that. On the other hand, remember his father Jacob. He was an absolute scoundrel until God changed his heart at Bethel when he saw the angels ascending and descending on that staircase. God changed his heart when he was older, and we find this pattern throughout the Bible, and we see it in our lives as well, don't we? Now, to me, this is one of the most amazing things about our redemption. The Lord creates our good character, and then he honors us for what he has done in us. How great is that? It is pretty good. I agree. The Lord creates and honors good character. So let's look now at the second pair of dreams that's found in chapter 40. And here we find the chosen place and the circumstances. Now, the place is Pharaoh's prison. And just like God has been with Joseph from the very beginning, from the pit, slavery, Potiphar's house, falsely accused, God has been with him through all of that. God is still with Joseph in prison. And because of God's blessing on him and because of Joseph's character, the warden makes Joseph a trustee. And then he meets two other people in the prison, two of Pharaoh's officers. And they have, they're in prison for some unnamed crime, but now God is going to advance his plan further through these two guys by giving them two dreams. Now listen as I read from Genesis 40, verse 1. Genesis 40, verse 1. Sometime after this, after Joseph had been thrown in prison, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody 
of the house of the captain of the guard. That's Potiphar's prison, where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. As trustee, Joseph is, is responsible to see that these two people have what they need, down to verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked them, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now, in contrast to Joseph's pair of dreams by a single person, here we have a single dream by a pair of people. Two officials of Pharaoh, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, they were disturbed because they didn't know the meaning of these dreams that God had given them. Joseph saw their sadness, and when he asked why, they told him, we've had these dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph says this, do not interpretations come from God? So tell me the dreams. And then Joseph interpreted them. Now, the cupbearer had dreamt of a grapevine with three branches that blossomed and ripened into grapes. And he had Pharaoh's cup in his hand. So he squeezed the grapes into Pharaoh's cup and gave, and gave it to, to Pharaoh. Now, in verse 12, Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh so to get me out of this house, out of this prison. Now, the baker, hearing the favorable interpretation that Joseph had just given to the cupbearer, decides to tell Joseph his dream as well. Verse 18. I'm sorry. Um, the baker's dream is basically this. He dreamed of three baskets filled with food for Pharaoh on his head. But the birds came and began to eat from the food in the baskets on his head. Now, verse 18. Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from your shoulders and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Three days later, the interpretations came true. It was Pharaoh's birthday party. The cupbearer's head was lifted up and he was restored to his former honor. The baker's head was lifted up too from his shoulders by sword. And he was hung on a tree where the birds pecked away at him. But the cupbearer didn't remember Joseph. And Joseph remained in prison two more years. His plight brings us to our second fill-in. God has a reason when he says, not yet. 
and our obedient patience in trials builds character. There's a reason when God says, not yet. Our response is obedient patience because he gives us these trials to build us our character. You see, God brings most of our blessings through transformation, not substitution. David read this passage earlier. When Paul pleaded three times for God to remove a health problem that he called a thorn in his flesh, he was asking God for substitution. Give me health instead of sickness. Give me relief instead of pain. Give me strength instead of weakness. But Paul's pleas were not answered. And he came to understand that God was using his suffering to change Paul's default character of pride. Especially the pride that Paul would have had having been raised to the third heaven and seen unspeakable things. But sometimes God will meet our pleas by substitution, but other times he answers our prayers not yet. And with the delay, he also gives us the grace that allows our affliction to grow us and often those around us in character. God uses difficult circumstances to build our character and to teach us to entrust ourselves to his great, perfect providence. Let's come finally then to chapter 41. This is the crowning moment as we see God's chosen time to reveal the purpose for these dreams. God gives Pharaoh now what appears to be two dreams, but like Joseph, it's one dream from now, three times the dream is described in chapter 41. That's why chapter 41 is 57 verses long. It's first described by the narrator, and then it's described second by Pharaoh, and then a summary is given by Joseph. I'm going to read the narrator's account that opens uh, chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep again and dreamed a second dream. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin lighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke. Behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, Pharaoh was troubled, and he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there were none who could interpret them for Pharaoh. So it's two years now after the cupbearer has been released. And Pharaoh's troubled by a 
pair of dreams, apparently, a pair of dreams. He calls all the wise men to the, uh, of the land to, and to learn the meaning, but no one is able to interpret them. In fact, they say in the text that we cannot interpret your dreams, plural. But suddenly the chief cupbearer remembers Joseph, and he confesses to Pharaoh. Listen to what he says, chapter 41, verse 9. I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry and put me and the chief baker in prison, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted the dreams for each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker, the baker was hanged. Pharaoh immediately sends for Joseph and is brought into the royal court. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh this way. He said, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favor. Kind of saying, not I, but through Christ in me. So Joseph tells him that the dreams are one dream, and they reveal what, what God is about to do. The seven cows and the seven plump ears of grain are seven years of great harvest. And then the thin, ugly cows and the ears that are scorched by the hot east wind, those are seven years of famine that will follow. The plentiful years will be forgotten in Egypt in the seven years of famine that will follow. And Joseph says this, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it. It is a sure fact that God's sovereign power will be applied to the natural process of growing grain and growing cattle, and his providence will bring about seven bountiful years of harvest, followed by seven years of stinging famine. It will happen. Joseph says, let Pharaoh then select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And then Joseph expands on this plan for Pharaoh. He says, select a wise and discerning man to take charge of all the crops in Egypt for the next seven years. Store 20% of the grain each year under Pharaoh's authority near cities so there will be food in Egypt to save the people during the famine. And in verse 37, says this proposal, please Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to the servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Now, it's a rhetorical question, of course, because in the next breath, Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. 
You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. Joseph's rise to power is complete when, in the closing verses, he's given Pharaoh a signet ring. He's given a new coat. Doesn't say many colors, but to show his authority. And then a gold chain is hung around his neck. And he's going to ride in the second chariot behind Pharaoh, and everyone will be commanded to bow the knee when he comes by. He's given a new name. He's given the daughter of a distinguished priest for a wife. And then as verse 45 says, Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. You see, the boy who dreamed of a people bowing before him 13 years earlier has become the man who is second in charge over the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And all are commanded to bow before Joseph. And the next seven years saw great harvest. Joseph ordered a portion gathered until the grain exceeded the sand of the sea and it couldn't even be measured. Then in the last year of abundance, two sons were born to Joseph and Aseneth, his wife. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, meaning God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And then the second son, verses 52, says he named him Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my He recognizes it's all from God's providence. God's providence, which brings all things together because of God's sovereign power to directly and incorrect, indirectly control everything that happens in his creation to bring about the best possible outcome because God's complete knowledge of everything knows all possible outcomes. That power. God brought the famine in the eighth year, and it spread over Egypt and all the nations of the ancient Near East. And then the last verse, verse 57, sets the stage for the next act in Joseph's story. It says, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Now, what will happen next? But it, it, it seems reasonable here to ask, you know, why all this drama for this poor guy? And especially, why the two additional years in prison? Well, the answer is, if the cupbearer had told of Joseph immediately, Joseph would not have been in prison when Pharaoh had his dream. In fact, Joseph probably wouldn't have even known Pharaoh had a dream. So Joseph heard, not yet, as he answered to his prayers for two years so that the perfect time, God would be, he would be in the perfect place to accomplish God's plan to save millions of people in the ancient world, including God's people that he is growing from Abraham. 
they will come to Egypt for food and remain there as God will then grow them into the great nation that will become Israel. Here's our final fill-in. Keeping our eyes on God's promise of victory in Christ is the key to victory over adversity. The key to victory over our trials. We're sometimes tempted to ask, is God with me when things go wrong, when we're in some sort of a trial or tribulation, or when we're being treated unfair, we, we, we often ask, is God really with me? Well, the resounding answer from Joseph's story is, yes, he is. Yes, he is. God keeps his promise to be with those who trust him. We can only imagine Joseph's despair as he languished in that prison. And he never took his eyes off God's promise revealed in the dream that God had given him that he had been chosen for great things. He trusted in God. He never took his eyes off of God. He believed that God gave him that dream and he would be used by God in a great way. That's how he laid there in that prison, dark dungeon. And God kept his word. Joseph's ability to interpret the dream showed that God was speaking through him. And the maturing of his character during the 13 years he spent in slavery and then in prison prepared him to be used by God in a critical way at a critical juncture in redemptive history. Redemptive history. Because if this doesn't happen, we're not saved in the way the Bible presents us the rest of the I don't know what it would be, but it wouldn't be this one. So these trials then were Joseph's stepping stones to glory. But not all of us will experience trials as stepping stones in that way. Some will be martyred, have been martyred. Most will live in earthly obscurity. But one thing is sure. God will know, love, and ultimately glorify each and every one who is his creature, his child, his chosen. So the key to our hope then, as I said, is this having the right focus. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Joseph would be one, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you and I may, be, may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's the key. And Joseph's story is one 
of a long line of stories that reveal God's sovereign power to bring his dream to reality, his cherished aspiration. It will continue to advance by his providence and power until the day Jesus returns to establish God's eternal kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. That's God's dream. And as we wait in this already but not yet, we keep our eyes on Christ and we entrust ourselves to him, knowing that he is always working for our good and his glory. And we share the dream because we want others to be with us on the day when we join with all of God's people throughout history and we joyfully joyfully shout, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free from sin and death at last. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your promises are sure. And we see them revealed most gloriously in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of your eternal son, Jesus. He went to the cross for us. You graciously give us the perfection of obedience that he demonstrated Father, as you now continue your work in each believer through the power of your spirit, I pray that we would take hope and find perseverance and patience and comfort in the trials that we face in our lives by keeping our eyes on Jesus. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. That is your promise. And that home is the uniting of heaven and earth for the glory of God and the fulfillment of all God's children forever. Father, that's the day we wait. But as we wait, I pray that we would continue to treasure these things in our hearts and share them with others. In Jesus' name I pray.